Would you stand with me to your feet and recite with me as we read together 2 Chronicles 7.14. It starts, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear Heal their land. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Pray with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now. And we pray very specifically for the power of your word to speak to our hearts today. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be in this place, dwelling amongst your people and speaking to the hearts of those very people. Father, we went through that list of um, sins. Father, the truth is, a lot of that is in a lot of us. And Father, it's time for repentance. If there is any hope for this land, if there's any hope for this world, we are going to have to get holy before you. So I pray in Jesus' name for your anointing as I speak these words today. I pray, Father, that your spirit again will convict and break hearts over sin. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. And all those people said, Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. This morning, we want to talk in the book of Joel. That's one of the minor prophets, so if you need to get your table of contents, go ahead and feel free to do that. Joel chapter 2. I entitled the message today, Terms of Surrender. Terms of Surrender. I went back and thought to World War II. It started in 1941 for us on December the 7th, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And really for the first probably 18 months of the war, we were just totally unprepared. I, I saw somewhere where in the, in the ranking of the armies at that time, the United States in military power was 18th in the world behind uh, Romania. That's how weak we were militarily. And then we lost our Pacific fleet. And for 18 months, the, really our country and, and, the, and the world was at stake as Germany and Japan came together. We declared war and they declared war on us. And it just wasn't sure how it was going to go. And the American people rallied in a great way. And we became a war machine, a war-producing machine for material. And we saw great advances in technology. And slowly and surely, the tide began to turn in the theater of, of Pacific Theater and also in Europe. But in the Pacific Theater, the enemy was so radical. They were so fanatical uh, in their commitment. They, they, they thought the emperor was a living God. And they were literally willing to die for him. Rather than surrender, thousands and thousands and thousands of Japanese literally committed suicide and killed themselves rather than be taken captive. Long toward the end of the war, probably around March of 1945, we sent a message to Japan and detailing, it was very obvious they were going to lose the war, and detailing the terms of condition. And basically, the terms of, of surrender were unconditional. They were to surrender immediately, unconditionally. And the response that the, the Japanese sent, apparently, to at least some of the politicians at the time, was confusing. And, and also, they were divided in Japan. There were some who knew the war was lost, and yet there were other particularly strong military leaders who believed they should fight to the death. The bottom line was the, the response was weak, and so we went ahead and used the atomic weapon uh, for the first time in August. The atomic bomb was used on Hiroshima and later on Nagasaki. And, well, thousands, not millions, but thousands, hundreds of thousands of Japanese died. 
And then finally, the Japanese did surrender. Think of the lives that could have been saved if they had accepted the terms of surrender. The message today from Joel is someone much more powerful than the United States. It is God calling his nation to repentance, to unconditional surrender. Now, we're not really certain when this was written for Joel, when, what time, time period. The only thing we know about Joel is what's written in the book of Joel in the New Testament. We know he was a prophet. We know that from what he has written. We know it's from God. But we don't know what the circumstances were that led to the book of Joel. So we will take principles from what we're going to learn today from the book of Joel. And we can apply it biblically to our lives today. That's what we want to do. God is calling his people in repentance and in forgiveness, saying, I want you to come home, back into fellowship with me. Now, in Joel chapter 2, in verse number 1, we read these words. Blow the horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. Now, the horn that they refer to is called a shofar. And it was an animal horn, usually a ram horn. And there were four or five major calls that the nation used. And when they heard the sound of this, it was an attention-getting tool that was used. There were various calls. And what Joel is doing here, he's calling the people to alarm. And the reason why is, for the day of the Lord is coming. We have today a shofar, and I've asked Brother David uh, Valentine if he would play for us the sound that the people of Israel would have heard as a call to alarm. When the people heard this call, they knew that things, they were in a dangerous situation, that something had gone south. And if you'll read with me again that verse, uh, blow the horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. Israel had once again been a people of sin. And God was sending judgment upon the nation of Israel. And so we do not know, most theologians do believe that, that he's using symbolism here, but he speaks of an army of locusts coming. Most theologians believe that a vast army had been ordained by God to come in and wreak havoc throughout the land of Israel. So Joel is calling the people in hopes that God would relent and change his mind about this great disaster. God is, that God would choose to spare his people. Joel is calling the people in a call of repentance because the day of the Lord, the day of judgment is near. In the words of Amos that I will be using, speaking from in a few weeks, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But I will believe with all my heart that the day of God's judgment is coming near. I believe the, the clock is ticking down. I believe it's ticking down for our nation, but I also believe it's ticking down for this world. I truly believe that we are living in the last days. And I believe because of... America's rich heritage, we can claim no promise, no special promises in the word of God as a country. But because of the resources, because of our rich heritage, it says in the word of God that to whom much is given, much is required. And I believe God holds our country to a higher standard with morality and holiness than any other nation. 
And yet we live in a country who, as Brother David's already said, is turning its back on God. Every day in America, 3,700 abortions are performed. Every day, now, I know you've heard the numbers. I know that. Every day, a beating heart, 3,700 beating hearts are stopped in America. That's about 154 every hour. About two a minute. Six states in our country have already approved same-sex marriage. I was sitting on the front row thinking, Dwayne, just go back 20 years. 20 years and the thought of two men and two women women entering in what we have held sacred as a country and as a people of God for, for ages. The thought of two men and, and two women coming together in matrimony and marriage. How perverse and strange it is. And yet six states, 10%, more than 10% of our states has already approved it, including the District of Columbia. In our own home state of Illinois, civil unions are now approved. And you know and I know, if you've been listening to the news, there's a push for same-sex marriage in Illinois. Something that is an abomination to our God. You've heard these numbers. I gave them to you about four weeks ago. Judy gave them out um, in her Sunday school class. And unfortunately, it ties to the church. 70% of men, while they're married, are going to have an affair. 70% of men are going to have an affair. 60% of women will have an affair by the time that they are married, during the time that they're married. In in 2008, 2009, cohabitation in America went up 13%. More and more couples are saying, why even get married? Let's just live together. And the tragedy is, it's in the church. It's in the church. Somehow we have rationalized in our brain that God winks at our sin and says it's all right for a man or woman to live together without being married. And and we act as if it's no big deal. I need to tell you, the sins that I talked about, the sins that you saw on the screen, are a very big deal to our holy, holy God. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But may I ask you a question? Why in the world do we not think that a holy God would not judge a nation with such sins as I have spoken about? And yet the good news is, is that God is a good God. He has told us in our word what to expect in these latter days. Now, again, most theologians believe that the latter days started with Jesus Christ. So much like a snowball that starts at the top of a hill and starts rolling downhill, gets larger and larger and larger. I do believe you'd agree with me today that the effects that we are seeing in the decrease in morality in the world and in our country is simply a snowball effect as we head toward the end times. Here's what Paul described it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Just listen. But know this. That in the last days, dangerous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying his power. And then Paul tells the young preacher boy, from such, turn away. Would anyone here disagree with me? Would anyone come to me after the service and say, that does not describe the world we live in? The day of the Lord is coming, and by the day of the Lord coming, I mean a day of his judgment. And perhaps... It is nearer than you think or I think. The Word of God also says this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. We are in the process of reaping what we have sown. I don't know. It may be a hundred years before God calls it on the world. But I know this. That if the rate and trend continues, the world that my grandchildren are going to be growing up in will be unrecognizable to me to the world that I grew up in in the 1950s and even in the 1960s. We need revival. We need revival. And I'll tell you now, and I'll tell you several times later, it starts here. It starts here. Joel went ahead and says in verse number 12, Even now, despite the late hour, Joel says, despite Israel, Judah, how far you've gone, how far you walked away from God, how, how you have disobeyed God and chosen to worship other gods. In spite of that, even now, even in this late hour, this is the Lord's decoration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Even in the late hour, I told you a couple weeks ago, I believe with all my heart it's not too late. That God can send a revival sweeping through the churches of America. And sweeping through the churches of America, it will sweep throughout this land. And we will see a turning in America. But it starts with the people of God. We must, we must revert back to God. Then Joel writes in verse 13 and 14 about reverence. He says this. In verse 13 he says, Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Tear your heart, just not your clothes. When a a person, when a king was contrite and broken, they would take off their good clothes and put on sackcloth. When, when a king received bad news, he would rip his, his, his royal robes and shred them. They would put ashes on their heads. But God's saying something. He said, I'm not just talking about you tearing your robes. I'm asking you to tear 
your heart. You know why? Now please hear me today, church. God is more interested in what happens on the inside than the outside. God cares what happens in your heart and my heart at the conclusion of every time a minister of the gospel speaks here. How? It's not how many times a week we preach the word of God. It is what we do with the word of God when it's preached. Do we allow it to penetrate our hearts and change our hearts? If it was a matter of times, we could have services every night if somehow that pleased God. But we don't see that. We don't see that. I went to Matthew. And I read some incredibly hard words from our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear what he said. And he's speaking... To the religious people of his day. The ones who went to the temple, who wore their robes, who did all the outward stuff, who would tear their robes, but not their hearts. Listen to these words. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and, and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides. Who strain at gnats and swallow camels. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. O blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Speaking to the religious people today, and for the... For so many churches today, we've got the outward form. We do our church. We do our thing. But an old song used to say, how about your heart? Is it right with God? When the list was flashing, did you see what was listed? There were the traditional big ones, homosexuality, adultery and those. But did you see the envy and the jealousy and the hatred and the bitterness and the sores of dissension and the backbiting? Do we not understand that those are as much a stench in the nostril of holy God as the ones we want to parade about? And it is those sins that are robbing the church of the power to lead revival to change this great land. It begins with us. It begins with those small, in quotes, the small sins. 
It begins with us today. Looking and saying, you know what? I gossiped this week. I talked about someone behind their back. I was angry this week. I was bitter this week. I hated someone this week. I looked at porn this week. I slept with someone this week who was not my husband or my wife. It was me. It was me. It was me. He says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Return to your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. He relents from changing disaster. It's not too late, folks. The end of the world will come. But the condition of our country lies in the hands of the Holy Church of God. How we will live Christ and share Christ with those we call our neighbors and our citizens. He goes on and says, who knows? The prophet is, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. So you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. Now using the analogy of the locusts. If the locusts swept through the land, they would literally consume every product of the land. There would be no fruit. There would be no grain. But the prophet says, maybe God will relent. Maybe he will change his mind. So that we can buy another car. So that we can have bigger homes. So that we can have larger televisions. So we can have more, more, more. No. Maybe God will relent. So it will be an offering to give to the God who loves us. We need revival. Not just so the world can look and say, what a Christian nation. We need revival because we are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. If this world would, would, if we could tap into the resources of America with the, God, the holiness of God and the power of God, what could God do in our community, in our county, in our state, in our country, and in this world? David. David the king sleeps with someone else's wife. That was bad enough. He arranges for the husband to be killed because she comes and says, I'm pregnant. So he has Uriah killed. God bides his time, but sends a prophet, Nathan, to David. Nathan tells a story and points his old bony finger at the chest of David and says, You're the man! You're the man! David says, I've sinned against God. He writes Psalm 51 as a lesson to all of us who sin against God. What do we do? Let me read a couple of verses to you. David says, For you do not desire a sacrifice. If it was a matter of bulls, I've got lots of bulls. If it was a matter of a larger offering, I can give a larger offering. If it needs a bigger sacrifice, I can make a bigger sacrifice. But he says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or else I would give it. 
But you don't even want a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That's what God wants today. He wants His people to look at that list and go, at God, that is displeasing to you. My, my friends, my, my neighbors happen to be the first Christian church. And he is teaching a series of sermons, I know because they're on his marquee, called Acceptable Sins. And he's been listing a sin that is acceptable. And of course, my brother David Valentine said, well, no sin's acceptable. I said, that's absolutely David. But can't we be truthful? Is not gossip accepted in the church as okay? Isn't bitterness accepted? Isn't unforgiveness? I know it is because all the churches I know, including this one, are pretty good at it. We are quick to cast the rocks at the man sleeping with another woman or the woman with another man, but we tolerate other sin in this church and it's a stench to the nostrils of God. And revival will come when we are willing to get serious. And by the way, if it will make you feel better, I will throw myself in the pot. Because it's too easy for Dwayne Taker to open his mouth and say something that's unkind or bitter or wrong. It's not acceptable. So God... Since Reveille, we know Reveille as get up in the morning. But really, it's a military call for an assembly. And Joel says in verse number 15, again, blow the horn in Zion. This time is not a call to alarm. It is a call to worship. It's a call to change. Dave, would you please play that one? When the nation of Israel heard this call, they knew to stop whatever they were doing and to come. And to come. Here's how Joel puts it. Blow the horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify, set apart the congregation. Now watch, watch, watch. Assemble the aged. Find the ones in the nursing home and bring them. Find the ones on canes and wheelchairs and bring them. He goes on and says this. Gather the children. Find the next generation and bring them. Even the babes at their mother's breast. Bring them. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Find the man and woman who just got married. Call them, text them, and say, come home immediately. It's that urgent. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. It's that urgent. Please hear your pastor today. I know. We want to point our finger at that party or that party. If this happened, that happened. I'm telling you, the only hope for America lies in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of Almighty God. That is our only hope. That's all there is. And that is only going to happen when we look at that list 
and get serious with God. When we get serious with God. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore, with your minds and your hearts ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, what kind of children? Obedient children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Don't conform to the pressures of this world. But as the one who called you is holy, as the one who called you is holy, as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Say all your conduct. All your conduct. And he says, be holy because I am holy. God doesn't say, this is okay or that's okay. That's a big one and this is not. He says, we as God's people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, he calls us and says, hey, all your conduct, be holy. The world should never have to guess if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether I'm driving down the road or whether I'm sitting in my yard or my home or in a restaurant, the world shouldn't have to guess. I wonder if he's a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a teacher, if you're a minor, if you're a banker, the world should never have to question. I wonder. They should know. Because we should be holy even as God is holy. The horn is sounding. There's a call of assembly. The day of the Lord is near. Your hope is not in your party. Your hope, your only hope, is in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to revival. The Bible says, let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. And somebody says, yeah, yeah, that's right, preacher. You start weeping. That's Old Testament. We're in New Testament. And my Bible tells me if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a priest. You're a priest. You're a minister. It's not a call for the higher holy man to weep. I should join the club. It's a call for God's people, the priesthood of the New Testament church. To get broken before God and say, God, we need you. God, our sin is consuming us. God, our country is going to hell. It's mainly on us. It's on our watch, God. Mm. Let the priest get before him to portico on the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared. Yes, people. God have pity on us. God show grace to us. God show mercy to us. And with all my heart, I believe he's willing. Amen? I believe he's willing. Billy Sunday was a preacher of days gone by. If I understand correctly, he was a drunk that God radically saved. And he was radical in his preaching style. It was not uncommon for him to take a chair and smash it on the, on the pulpit. While he was preaching, here's what he says. A revival does two things. First, it returns the church from her backsliding. And second, 
It causes the conversion of men and women. And it always includes the conviction of sin on the part of the church. What a spell the devil seems to have cast over the church today. He said that in the 1900s. Revival, revival calls for the people of God to be broken over their sin. And then as a result of that, lost people are saved. You want to know why? When we start living as God's book tells us to live, a couple things rightfully happens. Society morally changes. Come on now. Society, you, you, get, you get a bunch of people in America on fire. Uh-huh. You're going to see some things different politics. You're going to see some things different morally. You want to see an end to abortion? That happens. Yeah, legislators may have a part in it, but legislators will have a part in it because legislators are filled with Christians who said enough is enough. And they'll become Christians when the church of God gets on fire for God and good neighbors and good businessmen and they act like Jesus. If you've got a better plan, see me after church. I'm willing to listen. But I happen to think Jesus was right. I happen to think Joel was right. And I just got a sting suspicion old Billy Sunday was right. And the good part, that verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared the people. He relented. He relented. One of my sisters texted me and said, hey, let's get together and have a Elijah prayer meeting for rain. And I wrote back and said, pray for rain this morning. You know, you know the problem with the Elijah prayer meeting? God says time for it to rain. It wasn't going to rain a drop to God's purpose had been fulfilled. It rained not because Elijah prayed so much as God said, it's time to rain. Well, I'm telling you, based on the word of God, God's ready for revival in America. He's just waiting for us to get serious with it. And it's not Dwayne, Brent, and David. We're just part of the group. It's you and me. The one sitting next to you and one on the other side. Getting serious. Now what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going, to show you, we're going to watch that sermon video again. After you've heard the message. I want you to watch that list. And here's my question. What is on that list that's in your life? Now, if by chance you run through that list and there's nothing, you need to be the pastor. Because you're obviously a better man than me. So if you run through that list, you may want you may need to make a list yourself. You may say, mm, that one, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. Maybe it's one. But what are you going to do with that sin in your life? That's the question. Would you show the video again, please?
Brother Dave, would you blow the horn again, please, for us? Would you bow your heads right there, please? God is calling us to repentance. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. I'd like for you to remain seated this morning. If you need to go on your knees right there where you are, the altar's open if you want to come here and pray. But God is calling us to repentance. No sin, no sin is too small when it comes to holy God. As the band plays softly, I am asking you as your pastor, To do business with God. If we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you truly want to see a change in our country. If you truly want to see a change in our church. If you truly want to see it in your family. This is the message. This is the message.